A long, long time ago, the Earth was ruled by dinosaurs. Then something happened. A giant meteorite struck the Earth. Goodbye, dinosaurs. But what if the dinosaurs weren't all destroyed? What if the impact of that meteorite created a parallel dimension where the dinosaurs continue to thrive and evolve into intelligent, vicious, aggressive beings? Just like us. And hey... What if they found a way back? Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Today, as part of our throwback series, we're going to be discussing the Super Mario Brothers. Starring Bob Hoskins. Strap your bow on, kid. We're going in. John Leguizamo. Mario, I got a feeling... I got a feeling we're not in Brooklyn no more. Samantha Mathis. I guess we're both prisoners here, huh? And Dennis Hopper. You know what I love about mud? It's clean and it's dirty at the same time. Directed by Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jankel. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Hey, the name is Mario, your main man, Ramadan, spamming a can. It's Gally Mario in Glasgow. <laughs> and slopping down from the ceiling like a kind of sentient mushroom sludge, it's Devlin Mario in London. I love when you do that hocus pocus to me. It's M Mario in Warwickshire. Hey. Yay! <laughs> Lord knows we've needed to address the balance of perspectives on the show. Enter the lady who has set the bob bomb in the sausage factory that is this show. We are happy to have a very, very special guest join us today. It's M from Verbal Diorama. Welcome, M. Hello. Sorry, was, was, that, was that... That was some intro. Um, I've, I've, I mean, I'm, I'm very happy to be called a bob-omb. Um, Are you less happy to know that you'll be exploding sausages? We've been a little bit male centric on the show, Devlin, and uh, and M's. You know, she's shattering the glass, isn't she? Or the sausage factory, as I said. Well, I mean, I I I have shattered many sausage factories in my time, Um, so (laughs) I am glad to be yet again infiltrating another sausage factory and uh, you know smashing that uh, sausage shaped ceiling. Um, welcome, and, and before I sort of uh, ask you, um, sort of what your um, what film you've picked for us to discuss, um, would you like to tell our listeners um, who you are and uh, and and what you do in in this podcast land? First of all, hello everyone. Um, as Gally said, uh, my name's Em. I have a podcast called Verbal Diorama. Uh, I like to look at the history and legacy of. Well, movies you know and movies you don't. I was very graciously uh, invited on uh, to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Uh, it is a podcast that I am a fan of, and um, I'm I'm incredibly happy to be here, and I'm really grateful uh, to be here. So, and I'm really excited to be here as well because, uh, yeah, have, I don't think you've ever had a woman on this podcast. Is that right? One time, you could hear my girlfriend making uh, some pasta. In the background of an episode. Oh my god! But you weren't, but you weren't supposed so to. So much representation <laughs> yeah. of women on this podcast. Not and only, she... not only was she in the background, she was making food. Yes, which is usually my job, I will say. But because I was on the podcast, she had to go ahead. And she is uh, uh, 
actually a, a former professional film critic and yet we have yet to invite her on that's to talk about it. Actually, that's not true. We have invited. She has uh, as yet not been able to clear her schedule for us. In the meantime, and for right now, we're very glad to have you on with um, uh, I've uh, listened to your podcast as well. And I'm always very impressed by your persuasive amounts of, uh, of research. You do a lot more work than we do. I literally, I watch the films like two days before we record and then I just blag it. (laughs) It's nice to to hear somebody actually put it in the hours. I mean, yeah, it's, um, I, I, I do put in, uh, some time. Yes. Um, but, um, but I, I enjoy it. I like to watch movies. I like to talk about them. It's literally, like I said, um, I'm not a professional anything, so I'm not a professional critic or a professional reviewer or a professional writer or a professional podcaster. So, uh, yeah, it's just something that I enjoy talking about. So that's why I'm here. And, I, and like I say, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. So thank you so much for having me on. No, no, um, we are we are delighted to have you, and um, and you are in good company if you're going to talk about yourself as not being a professional. However, I'm going to disagree because I, like Devlin, have listened to your show, and I now follow the show. And yeah, I think what you do is great. If only, if only we could uh, we could do the amount of work that you do, then uh, I don't know, maybe maybe Devlin, we wouldn't. I don't know. I don't know how, but we need to change. Maybe we just get. Get Kiara in, and we'll just swap out, and yeah, we'll we'll do the. We'll, we'll <laughs> we just out, but... we just uh, just give her the podcast. Yeah, I yes. think so. Yeah, it's <laughs> probably an idea. That isn't quite it? a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just we're just well, this, this could, Yeah, this could very well be our last episode, listeners. So um, enjoy it. That's all yeah. I'll say. But but in the meantime, for our last episode potentially, um, M, what <laughs> film have you chosen? And and more importantly, I've been I've been thinking about this ever since you told me. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is the thing, right? So um, I feel like um, this episode of your podcast is either going to be the greatest episode ever made of your podcast or the worst episode ever made of your podcast. And and the reason for that is because um, we are going to be talking about Super Mario Brothers, um, the classic... Uh, and I, I I use that in inverted commas when I say classic because it's a classic for probably all the wrong reasons um, from uh, 1993, uh, which is obviously the same year that Jurassic Park came out. It actually came out a couple of weeks before Jurassic Park. Yeah, Super Mario Brothers. Just, let's just let's just let that kind of flow all over us. Super <laughs> Mario Brothers. It's just there is so much to digest about those three words would you would you like to know why <laughs> well huh? yeah I, I thought maybe i thought you were giving me the old politician's answer there and you just weren't going to tell me but um yeah go on why why have you <laughs> picked sorry. super mario brothers <laughs> you're giving him the full andrew mar swerve yeah yeah <laughs> it's, a, it's a hard question to answer though isn't it when i was a kid um i was massively into computer games and it's something that i have been into ever since I was really little um, and my um, I got bought a ZX Spectrum. This is a long time ago, listeners, by the way, a ZX Spectrum. You put tapes in it. It had like a psychedelic loading screen. Um, but when I was a child, um, I, think, I think it was my uncle from memory. My uncle bought me and my brother 
um, a Nintendo Entertainment System, aka a NES. And I was just literally the most obsessed. Like I would play it all the time. And the Mario games were some of my favourite games to play. Um, and throughout my life, I have pretty much always, I've always had consoles throughout my entire life. Um, I'm not a massive gamer nowadays, to be fair. But I, I still have a collection of consoles that are still at the moment boxed. Um, I still have quite a few games. But sort of throughout my life, I had a NES, I had a SNES, um, I had a Nintendo 64 um, and a Wii. And uh, and the only ever ge- the only games that I used to have were really Mario games and Zelda games because <laughs> I used to love playing Mario and Zelda. Um, so I grew up uh, playing um, Super Mario Brothers sort of throughout all these different consoles, going into um, you know the more kind of three D uh, era of Mario. So Mario has been a character that has literally defined my life to to a ridiculous degree. Um, that even my 30th birthday cake was a Super Mario birthday cake. Mario has always been around. He's like, he's like a friend, you know, he's like, he's like a buddy. He's like, you know, the guy who always saves the day, you know, he beats all the bad guys. And then you had like his brother Luigi involved in some of the later games as well. And you can play two player. And it was just, it just reminds me so much of, you know, being a kid and playing those games. And then it was like, there's a movie coming out. And I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be the greatest movie ever made because it's about Mario. And when we spoke about me coming on the podcast, there was only ever one option. I didn't kind of suggest anything else I probably should have in hindsight I probably should have given it some thought instead of literally responding within two seconds ago Super Mario Brothers so uh yes yeah, sorry about that um because I feel ultimately responsible for uh how this episode turns out I think these these instinct grabs are usually the best ones yeah, they really are, right, Devs? Yeah. yeah. I say this, uh, our first ever episode was um, uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, because I remembered it really well from being a kid and ended up being an absolute chore. So... <laughs> but uh, I am I am very glad you picked this, because I hadn't seen this film probably in, what year is it? 2020? I don't know. 20 years? No, 25 years? I don't know. I don't know how old I am, nor how long it's been since I've seen it. But I haven't seen it since probably a year or two after it came out. Because I also had like a, a, a ZX Spectrum and an Ez. I used to love my ZX Spectrum. Yeah, me too. Daily Thompson's Decathlon. Oh yeah, when you had to, you, you used to hurt your fingers because you were just like... Yeah, yeah, I got quite good at that. Lots of practice. Very, yeah, very little talent, just kind of like, just, just smashing two buttons just one like, after yeah, another as fast it, as yeah. possible. <laughs> mm, okay. So yeah, Davlin, you're not much of a gamer, but you played some Mario. Just, oh yeah, some... like Super Mario I used to play, yeah, as a, probably the same age I got on NES, uh, would have been early nineties, uh, having gone over to the States to visit some cousins and they, they had one, so we got one as well. And, um, but yeah, after, after that kind of lost track of it, but, um, Certainly, I was familiar enough that when this film came out, I wanted to see it. I I wouldn't have imagined that I saw it at the cinema. I don't remember that being a thing I did. So it must have been a VHS purchase, probably 
from the old Columbia record things where they oh, yes. they, they sent you the videos and they yes you, I remember if you those. kept them then they would charge you 40 quid for something that you just forgot to post back but um I, I don't think I watched it very very often which means that I probably didn't think very much of it as a kid seldom played Mario games because I uh, the only Nintendo console I've ever owned is the N64 so I played the Mario is it the 3D version when they Mario when they 64 finally... yeah 64 that's it yeah so I enjoyed that one yeah. um you know kind of open world ish or certainly um the illusion of open world and um and then I kind of like the Super Mario Kart games that they're good they're good fun um but yeah as a as a character you know, and all his iconography and all the other supporting characters. Um, yeah, not so much really. Um, you know, the Italian, the Italian stallion, the old mustache must, must wearing man. Um, he just, yeah, he didn't really do it for me. Um, despite him being super, super, super popular at the time. Um, I think I was always, I think I, I was too deep into Mega Drive. I think I just remember having the Mega Drive a lot and I had the knockoffs like Alex the Kid and all that kind of nonsense. But I, I, I kind of fell out of gaming. I've still got a P- I've got a PS4 now, um, but I mean I don't really play games anymore. In particular, uh, the only things I play are basketball. And I play sports games really, but it's it, it's it's so casual. It's beyond belief. I mean, it took me nearly three years to finish Red Dead Redemption Two. Um, I was just very much just doing a bit of robbing, maybe doing a bit of hunting, and then finishing. <laughs> that was my experience. Oh, yeah, I, I, I didn't really. I I didn't play the game. Yeah, I didn't play the game. So as yeah. far as my relationship with computer games, it's definitely dwindles as I've um, as I've sort of gotten older. But the film, I remember. I didn't go to the cinema because I was eight years old when it came out, and I would have remembered going to see uh, the film at the cinema. I didn't. Um, but this is a VHS like you, Devlin, and also, and it makes sense now considering the uh, amount of money that it lost. This was on rotation on Sky like every day and i just remember right. this being, yeah i remember this one being shown like consistently for about two years on sky movies so i just i watched it uh, countless times uh as a youngling and um and, you know i kind of bunched it in there with uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles which we will talk about and uh, a few other kind of kidified product uh properties that were that were being pushed into the market and you know the hollywood kind of getting a sense of maybe this demographic here that that will pay big bucks to go and see these films. So, yeah, that's where I placed it. Um, I will withhold my sandwiches, but I will say that my opinion has probably shifted in uh, in the twenty years. <laughs> but you know, alas, <laughs> what we do on the I show. I used to like the um, I used to like the video cover. I don't know why that that, that definitely sticks out in my head. That I used. To I remember really the like trailer. The do you remember the trailer? I've got the power. I do. Not. I remember the trailer. I so. Yeah, like, I got the power. I remember really? that. But, yeah, yeah. The, the, right. By the way, that song not anywhere in the film. No, but it's in the trailer. Not. Although you know, thank God, thank God they made up for it with a really maudlin rock set ballad at the end. <laughs> hey, <laughs> it, like... we'll have none of that against rock set. <laughs> oh no, 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 we do, we do love rock set. Maybe a little out of place, a little bit, a little bit out of place. Oh, ju- just a little bit, Devlin. I went through the soundtrack this afternoon uh, on YouTube and looked at all the music videos, and when the Super Mario Brothers official rock set music video came on. You know, bless her, you could see how embarrassed she was uh, to be performing with all the nonsense going on. Was it, I, was I, it I like one of those, bad. was it one of those integrated onset videos where they splice yeah. her into, where they, where they shoot on the same sets and stuff? 
No, not quite. They'd uh-huh. um, they just they just put her on a blue screen, so it was even worse. She was just dancing in front of nothing, and then there's some computer <laughs> screens going on behind it with no relevance to the plot. Because this this song, almost unreal, uh, it wasn't actually made for this movie. It was actually written for Hocus Pocus. So you know yeah, the yeah, line that I said oh, at the wow. start. I love when you do that Hocus Pocus to me. It's because they 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 wrote it for Hocus Pocus, which was obviously the oh. same year. Um, but her, they didn't want it in Hocus Pocus in the end. That's a shame. It probably explains why she looks super pretty. <laughs> yeah, well, she was like, oh, I could have had it in one of the greatest Halloween movies of all time, which came out in July, by the way. Um, or I could have it in Super Mario Brothers. Uh, <laughs> and, and let's be honest, I think time has been considerably kinder to Hocus Pocus. The only reason people really remember this film now is basically that it was like an odd failure it's it's fallen into the kind of howard the duck realm of what were they thinking so there's there's a lot of like long form journalism about this one uh, I, i'm assuming you guys have read a a couple of the the longer articles just well it seems that it started that there was actually a um a report on set is that is that correct maybe from the la times yeah with the um, with two, the uh, former yeah, with the former Disney executive, uh, I think it's Katzenberg. They went on set and they could tell by the lead actors. So Dennis Hopper and Bob Hoskins were a bit sheepish and generally looked a little bit miffed. And then lo and behold, chaos ensues. You know, it was just a dysfunctional this is, set. Uh, from, a from a the Dennis, start, right? all day Dennis Hopper screaming match. Yeah, well, I think it was Christian Bale's level of of ranting. Uh, what I'd read, what I'd read in that particular article, I'm sure you've read the same, is uh, it was sort of 45 minutes, and I've, in fact, I've got a quote, um, or something that they've said that he mentioned, which was, you know, you're a joke, you don't know what you're doing. These these lines are terrible. In fact, I'll use the word he uses. Said these this dialogue is shit, and what you write is shit. <laughs> And you're the most unprofessional uh, directors <laughs> I've ever worked with. Which, to be fair, Dennis Hopper, I can imagine being a bit of a diva on set. However, he's directed a film before, a very uh, a couple of films. film. A couple, indeed. And he's also just Dennis Hopper. He's been in some of the most important films in American history. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's yeah. a dude who's been around since the kind of, since the 50s. You kind of need to... You kind of need to bring bring the array game to to set, right? You know, yes, okay. It was unprofessional of him to have a bit of a rant on set, but nothing that he said is incorrect. <laughs> so, so Dennis Hopper is not wrong. <laughs> One of the most incredible things I find about this movie, just generally, is how they got such a brilliant cast. Hoskins was pretty much at his prime because this was not mm. long after Who Framed Roger Rabbit, not yeah. long after Hook. Theoretically, he's he's great casting for Mario. When you think that in in um, in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, he gets to show that he can be a kind of a bit of a kind of straight man foil to weird shenanigans happening around him, but also he can step up and and be a you know a, a pretty gifted physical clown when he has to. He can be funny. He can be kind of a little bit threatening. Not that Mario needs to be threatening. Bob Hoskins is bringing full on Eddie Valiant. You know, even with the accent and everything, it's very kind of reminiscent of Eddie Valiant. But, you know, I did an episode on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And one of my favourite things about Who Framed Roger Rabbit is Bob Hoskins and just how wonderful he is. And that he basically brought everything to the role of Eddie Valiant. Um, Like you say, playing the straight man and then sort of turning it on his head with this wonderful physical comedy. And it's just a shame that he's not like that. 
in this movie because mm. he clearly hates it so much. <laughs> I would argue, though, that the script doesn't allow Bob Hoskins to do any of that because he's Mario. He's the titular character, or he's certainly the, the iconic character that Nintendo have put forward to sell their consoles, yet he is sidelined in his own movie. I mean, I, I know him yeah. mainly from Long, Long Good Friday, so I'd known him as playing sort of British gangsters and doing the Sheila video. Um, and, and yeah, he does the gruff Cockney geezer stuff. Um, he, he showed his lighter side, didn't he, in Hook? And he's great as Smee in Hook. You know, he, he's, he does bring that comedic timing. Um, and I, I don't, you guys ever seen Mermaids? I've got a bit of a soft spot for yes. it, mainly because of the share, mainly because of the share song. Um, but I remember seeing that as a kid and I used to like Bob Hoskins and that. Um, I know that they, they looked at Danny DeVito. There's only a few. Hollywood actors that could have been Mario who are short and plump, who mm. could put a mustache on and be somewhat reminiscent physically of the character. But I wondered if they should have just gone with someone like Robin Williams, who would have just at least brought some well, craziness. That's, that's what they did with, with Popeye, wasn't it? Just cast Robin Williams and set him loose. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But obviously it wouldn't have fit the original tone for this film, but... Bob Hoskins, yeah, you can see him floundering a little bit, and I know that he obviously hated it. Can I, uh, can I follow that up with another, another quote I found? Uh, the worst thing I ever did? Super Mario Brothers. It was a fucking nightmare. The whole experience was a nightmare. He had a husband and wife team directing whose arrogance had been mistaken for talent. After so many weeks, their own agent told them to get off the set. Fucking nightmare. Fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think, do you think he? Uh, do you think he maybe didn't like the experience? I'm not sure. It's across. <laughs> no, it's you know, he's it's, it's, it's mincing his words a little. I'm actually kind of glad that I grew up with the likes of Dennis Hopper and Bob Hoskins in this movie, um, yeah. because arguably it's the first Dennis, um, probably the first Dennis Hopper movie I ever saw, um, and. Yeah, probably apart from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, because I, I probably watched that before this. But again, it's like I only really knew Bob Hoskins in these kind of roles that were more aimed at a, a younger market. So, mm, um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I remain incredibly fond of this movie for introducing me to these actors. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. And one of the things that um, made me because reading about some of the experiences on set and, and ordinarily and we'll talk about the directors and the, the the team up um we'll maybe talk about it a little bit later on in the episode but ordinarily you would you would attribute this to kind of diva like behavior by these well-paid actors and and certainly dennis hopper has has garnered a reputation for being difficult to manage um because he's dennis hopper i mean what you see on screen is is a is a, a sort of a a splice of his personality in real life. You see him in interviews when he was alive. He's a very charismatic and animated individual. What what made me happy was his experience on this was obviously pretty bad. He didn't enjoy it. But in the same year, he, he delivered uh, an outstanding performance as a side character in True Romance. And you think, well, okay, so he, he couldn't have been that affected by the whole experience. And like a professional, he moves on to the next shoot and... He delivers in that, so yeah. And within a year, he's he's he's, he's got a, a a fantastic, you know, slimy villain role under his belt in in one of the great action films of the nineties. Devlin, how's about you? Can you can you throw some shade on on the production of this one? Now, has anyone actually watched The Mission or The Killing Fields? No, depressing. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
<laughs> I have seen the Scarlet Letter. Okay. I've seen that. Because uh, I've not seen the mission. The mission has a very good score, though. It does. I've heard the score. Yeah, it's one of those ones that's on the, all the compilations. Yeah, exactly. Really it's a great score. score. Um, but, you know, very critically lauded. Uh, Roland Joffe, it seems that like he was kind of following the sort of post-Chariots of Fire, the British had come in, rush of London-based producers who kind of stormed the beaches across the Atlantic and kind of took over Hollywood for a very short amount of time before uh, it all kind of came crashing down. Uh, most of it actually came crashing down uh, around the time that we, uh, of our previous uh, film that we discussed, which is uh, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, mm, yeah, uh, yeah. which which involved David Putnam, who was one of the producers of uh, Chariots of Fire. It's all the guys who started Goldcrest Films and uh, Jake Eberts was another one, and he and Roland Joffe got together and started their own production company. And for whatever reason, instead of going with some kind of uh, weighty historical drama, uh, Roland Joffe was insistent that he wanted he wanted to to buy the rights to Super Mario Brothers, um, which I, I I guess is 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 an idea, but. Um, if we are going to sort of uh, uh, try and trace how this film came to be the film that it is, I think you need to, from from the very start, you need to question what were the motives behind that? If the motives were not just, this is a thing that everyone knows and we can make money off it. It seems pretty much, to me at least, like they just want, you know, a hit, like a, a ready-made kids film hit. Mm-hmm. Well, the iconographies, it's, it's out there, right? And this is the, you know, the one thing you can say about this film, if you're going to say anything, um, positive is it's the, it's the first, it's the pioneer, it's mm. the first video game to film adaptation. Yeah. Direct. It's not the wizard. It's not, you know, some of those, it's not Tron. Yeah. You had Tron and, and the last Starfighter was, was a bit of a hit. Yeah. Some yeah. It's the first hit. time you're taking a, a property in another medium namely video games and you are going to adapt it for cinema yeah and with that you don't you don't you don't necessarily have the blueprint to follow because you are the first right so you would think their instincts would be okay so what's popular at the time and you kind of go with that but instead they well we see it on screen they've come for a very different uh (laughs) um and and they kind of what get blindsided by a couple of directors who directed a thing that was kind of popular, which I've watched again because we watched it when we did our Lawnmower Man two episode. Which oh, the is the Max, uh, the Max Headroom TV series, which uh, yeah. um, has not aged well. <laughs> no, I don't think it's very good at all. I mean, I understand it; it's kind of creative. There's some there's some weird dystopian sci-fi stuff that's in there. It it would have felt cutting at edge at the time. Yeah, we watched the kind of the narrative features where I think Max Headroom's um, uh, reputation was built on the on the unusual kind of the the Channel Four takeovers that they did and the kind of the mixed media kind of collage type thing, mm. uh, rather than the the narrative stuff they did. Because yeah, that was uh, a, a little weak source. But um, it it does seem that uh, they well there, there are there are previous adaptations of the Super Mario Brothers. These are the two that I could find. 1986, there's a 60-minute Japanese anime called uh, Pichime Kyushutsu Daisaksen, or Great, Re- Ga- uh, Great Mission to Rescue Princess Peach. Uh, I watched 
about 90 seconds of it because it's deep, <laughs> oh, deeply irritating. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks like the characters and the music's the same and it's about mushrooms and shit. So it's pretty accurate. And then there was a uh, uh, an animated TV series uh, from 1989, which uh, was animated and live action at the same time. They would have these little... Um, sitcom skits that looked like they were budgeted at roughly $26. Uh, the, the uniforms were all kind of oversized and clumsy and it starred none other than the legendary WWF wrestling manager, Captain Lou Albano. Oh, wow. As, uh, as Mario himself. Oh yeah. The Super Mario Brothers Super this. Show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I watched that. Did you used to watch that? <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yes. I loved it. I was just thinking. That's what I don't know if you heard me typing just then. I was thinking, is that the is he talking about Super Mario with the Super Show? And um, yeah, I remember it had the live action bits with like a live action Mario and Luigi, and then it had like the animated bits. But like the title card was animated. Yes. Yeah. And had a rap. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I loved that. Um, I I can't remember where it was shown. Um, here in the UK. Um. Mm. But I definitely yeah, remember I, I definitely remember it. it being, yeah, um, similar kind of, it's like a Saturday morning thing. Devlin, these sketches, I've not seen it. Is it what, like Pee Wee Herman or what we're saying? Um, kind of bigger and clumsier. So I've only watched one of them for research. And because, of course, I am a little bit um, uh, of, of a fan, I watched uh, an episode which would have been from 1980. So it would have been from the first the first year of the show uh, because it featured uh, none other than Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh, nice! In full hot rod apparel, turns up. <laughs> um, Good. Because apparently Mario and Luigi have offered to repair his bagpipes. I, I recall it being very kind of slapstick uh, humor, um, very kind of typical kind of late eighties. Fast-paced, oh, like a yeah, like a sketch show, but um, a little bit like. Does any, did either of you, uh, you watch the? Uh, I think it was on CITV back in the day. I think it was it was called Zap. Oh was like yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sketches. It's it's a yeah. little bit like that, but Zap is exponentially better. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, well, that's, um, but I used to love watching the Super Mario with the Super Show. I think it was Channel Four. It was on actually. Well, there's our link then, because that's where Max Headroom originally aired uh, on British television was uh, was Channel Four. Of and course, these, yeah. These fledg these fledgling directors, Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jankel, which does sound like made up names. I've got to say, certainly Rocky Morton. I mean, that's got to be made up. <laughs> but they were computer uh, computer design specialists at a time when that was very much a. a an emerging medium, right? Yeah, yeah. And and they'd done a few music videos. I, I watched a couple of them. The, they did one with the Talking Heads. They did another one with Elvis Costello where they'd, um, there was a little bit of a link with the animation style that they used right at the beginning. So it's definitely, I can understand why you might go for for this, uh, for these two, these two directors, but they've made one film, which I've never seen. It's got Dennis Quaid in called DOA. Um, it sounds like absolute hot nonsense. The guy who, who, ba it, it, you know what it sounds like, Devlin? It sounds like the three in an adaptation. Oh. It's a guy, it's a guy who goes into a police station and solves his own murder, which is, you know, high concept as it gets for the eighties, but still, I'm pretty sure that's not going to hold up to a rewatch. Yeah. They'd, uh, um, very strangely. So what they decided, uh, Roland, uh, Joffe, especially, Prior to signing on uh, Rocky and Annabelle, 
which do sound like uh, cartoon characters. Uh, <laughs> but prior to signing them on, he'd already decided he wanted this to be the Batman treatment, right? Has anyone read that this was uh, this was his his vision for the film was that he didn't want it to be some kiddie fantasy nonsense. This ain't your mm. granddad's Super Mario Brothers. Not that your granddad <laughs> would understand what is going on. <laughs> but they wanted it to be, you know, potentially dark, I guess, grittified, or, or otherwise, you know, very kind of stylized. So so that's how you end up, I guess, with the, uh, the kind of cyberpunk aesthetic being grafted in here. But as you said, they, they went through a whole bunch of writers. The first draft was... Um, the writers of the Flintstones. Oh no, Devlin, you're missing a. Oh, is there a, more? First, first draft, yeah. So just to go into like casting, what ifs? So we talked about Bob Hoskins, and I know Danny DeVito was an obvious choice. You know, small and round, he'll be perfect. Um, the other one they looked at was Tom Hanks, and the first person they looked at, Tom Hanks wanted too much money, according to reports, was Dustin Hoffman, and <laughs> the writer of Rain Man had written a draft where Mario was the Tom Cruise character and Luigi was someone with, um, yeah, with Rain Man skills, which that got rejected, thankfully, because that would have been ridiculous. <laughs> but that, that, that is literally, that's what we're dealing with, though. We're dealing with people that are, that are kind of scrambling for an idea when it would seem pretty obvious that, and I guess it just speaks to the attitudes of Hollywood towards kid kid friendly films is that nowadays that's a like a no-brainer like yeah you go for the family market like that's where all of your kind of hits lie you know we, we've talked about films that have gone from 18 down to 12 look at the terminator series because we're trying to kidify these things but i guess in 93 it was seen as a i don't know a little bit cheap yeah it, it's almost like they want to they want a certified hit so they've got this ip uh, they want to do something with it. Nintendo have, for some reason, unbeknownst to everyone, given them their blessing, uh, which, by the <laughs> way, they never do again um, up until um, Detective Pikachu. So there was like a 20, what, 26, 27 year gap for Nintendo to actually finally agree on another live action movie of one of its properties. So that's how much Nintendo were burned by this. But the executives of Nintendo obviously gave their blessing. They, You would assume they had some creative control over their uh, intellectual property because this is literally one of the biggest games companies in the entire world. Um, and and yet the there doesn't seem to be any kind of real plan for how they're going to tackle this movie. Uh, which again, I, mm. I just find completely bizarre, but also, uh, just the most interesting. The, the reasons why this movie was made and the reason, you know, why this movie is the way it is. I mean, obviously it's immortalized in time now. It's always going to be known as, you know, the movie that, you know, broke Mario, essentially. Um, but it's, it's fascinating. It's genuinely fascinating why it is the way it is. So, Em, we are super tempted. Do you have a plot summary for Super Mario Brothers? I do. Um, and I have to prepare myself because it's a performance piece. <laughs> as long as it's not an interpretive dance. 
No, it's not interpretive dance. That would that would just be the sound of some feet on a carpet, and that would be difficult. I've just got to get into the zone. Okay, one sec. <clears throat> Mario and Luigi, they are brothers and they are good plumbers. They meet the princess Daisy and she gets kidnapped so they must find her. They go into a dimension portal, they do not know what is in it. Turns out they're there in Dino Hunter. Alternative. Granny Dog version of her as we know it. Cooper Reigns and he is a dick. He wants Daisy's necklace to merge the world. He is gross. That's it. Wow. That is amazing. <laughs> I know. I was about to say, round of applause. I am, Where the I am, I am standing up. That was a standing <laughs> Well, um, we have uh, we have never ever had that before. I mean, I, I feel like you and you and Matt need to do an episode on your own and just have like a plot summary off. <laughs> Can that come out of thing? Yeah, the full effort, gang. We'll just sit back and do fuck all as we always do. <laughs> I want to talk about this opening because I'd completely forgotten about the eight bit animation, and I put in my notes, which I shared with you guys yikes uh because that was my initial reaction which was yee i mean i remember the land before time being better animation than this i I just i was flabbergasted to be honest with you because immediately i thought to myself okay i can understand what the um what the idea is which is hey we'll we'll just have a little bit of gaming footage type thing at the beginning because hey it's a game it's a film about a game but normally when games try and sell sell themselves on television they normally you know have the disclaimer not actual game footage it's normally like stuff that's like wow look at the effects look at the graphics god this looks i'll just say it looks shite (laughs) i I couldn't but i couldn't believe that this is what they were trying to pass in a cinema thank god i didn't see this i mean what did you guys think i assume they were doing that on purpose right i thought i assumed they were were doing it on purpose yeah yeah. Okay, maybe I, met, I, I read it too literally then. <laughs> you were all primed to hate this off from the off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned it, Em, that you quite liked the split world dimensions by meteorite. Um, I mean, Devlin, what did you think? Did you? Because I had issues with the setup. I won't lie, uh, mainly okay. because I don't think it's very. Cl- I don't think it's very clean. I understand how it how it could have worked in theory, but the way that they portray it made. Not just zero sense, but actually yeah. contradicts the rules that they ended, yeah. that they ended no, up. No, that's the it just, thing. It, it, it's, no, it's no Avengers Endgame, is it? No, no. <laughs> but the internal logic of the film ends up contradicting itself because I. this is where I was getting all hepped up with metaphors because I was thinking, okay, reptiles versus mammals. And then we see some power dynamics throughout the film. And there's one particular scene in, uh, that I, I was thinking, ah, this will be interesting. So when, and forgive me, because Italian stereotypes are an absolute must in this film. When, is it Spinelli or Scanelli or uh, something that sounds, Scapelli, yeah, yeah, whatever Italian fake name they're going to go for. I was thinking he's going to get shot with a de-evolved gun and he'll he'll turn into a lizard too. Because I was like, that'll be interesting. That actually these these people in positions of power are all snakes. They're all lizards. Oh, I see. You've gone full David Icke, have you? I thought it was going to be something like that, but instead, you know, he just turns into, and bless him, Dennis Hopper, monkey, which, you know, did make me laugh. I mean, I think that would have been incredibly 
interesting. The, the movie had spent so much time setting up the fact that there were two alternate worlds and that there was no way between them, even though technically there was. So, you know, it's like it, Cooper was like, oh, I, I need the fragment to, to get through the dimensions. And, and it's like, well, actually, no, you don't, because there's a hole and they've already talked about yeah. it as a hole. So why don't you just walk through it like everyone else, you big doofus? I, I was OK with how quickly they just threw that together. You know, that you have the, the, the thing that you have, the, the the meteor strikes and then the splitting of the world. I was actually, uh, as a setup, I think it is totally fine. It gives you a, a an in-universe, very quick in-universe reason for there to be, you know, a strange world for him to travel into. It's sort of, it's, it's as you go through it that it starts to fall apart <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> So the bit where uh, Daisy gets kidnapped by uh, Iggy and Spike, they're in this, they're in the tunnels. Iggy and Spike bop Mario and Luigi on the head and they get knocked out, but they only get knocked out for like two minutes. Because then they catch up to them. But, and then, so, so Daisy is kind of in the portal thing and she's like, Luigi, help me. And uh, he manages to grab her necklace. But then when Mario goes through it, he like falls for like five minutes through the dimensions. <laughs> and you're like, well, hold on. How did Daisy, did she float up? I'll give the film some credit. They've got that thing, haven't they? Because I used to have one. My dad had one and he used to love it. Putting his face up against it. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The little nails yeah. Thing. So they, they've got, they've, they've, they've put that in to then show that effect later on, which by the way, I know that there are some incredibly talented people that worked on this film, which surprised the hell out of me, but it goes to show, um, you know, what is that? What's that famous T.S. Eliot poem? You know, if the, if the core doesn't hold, then everything falls apart. Well, that's a bit like having directors that don't know what they're doing on set. Um, certainly with this, yeah, the effects I was not best pleased with. I thought they were pretty bad. Like, you know, I get the computer effects. It's it's a new technology. But unfortunately, like most things, when you're the same year as Jurassic Park, oh, it's mm-hmm. um, it makes it worse, doesn't it? Like, I, I, like when, when Mario's falling through the worlds, it's the only bit where we get a bit of color, which I'm thankful for. But it looks dreadful. Like it, looks really, really bad. It, it does look it does look really bad and i have to say just back on the jurassic park thing genuinely the only effect that i think still works really really well is yoshi and that's because yoshi is a puppet and i think yoshi the way he moves um is it's is pretty good actually uh for a puppet the way he walks um i think yoshi is the standout uh, special effect and probably the standout character because I think they do more with Yoshi um, considering he's a dinosaur he doesn't speak but they emote Yoshi more than any <laughs> other character <laughs> in this movie I'll tell you now um, when Lena stabs him I was furious I was absolutely <laughs> yeah. furious oh, God, yeah. to the point where I, I, I messaged Devlin I hadn't watched it I hadn't rewatched it at this point and, and you you had to tell me that the little dinosaur gets stabbed in the neck. But that's the thing. That's what I said earlier. Like, there's some really adult themes. Like, you're a little kid and you're watching this movie. You're like, I'm a big fan of Mario. I'm going to watch a Super Mario film. And then you see this cute, beautiful, sweet little dinosaur get stabbed in the neck. 
you know, there's there's this really kind of disturbing sexual aspect to this movie as well. Yeah. There's loads of boob shots in this movie. And it's like, hold on, what? 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 <laughs> what? Yeah, it's definitely an issue of... Of, of, I mean, tonal control is a thing that always comes up with these films. The ones that don't do particularly well is it's a pretty solid correlation between films that can't control their tone whatsoever and films that don't get particularly well remembered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. this, and this it's, is it, definitely it's... one of those. It's, it's like it doesn't know what it wants to be. And I think that's, I mean, we've kind of gone, gone back in a circle again, but I think it kind of comes back to the fact that the people in charge didn't know what they wanted to do. The writers obviously didn't have a clue what they were doing anyway. That's why there were so many of them. And I think just generally, the, the tone of the movie, it doesn't know who it wants to appeal to and what it wants to be. And, and that's kind of its mm. biggest problem, really. So forgive me, because I've not seen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for a while, but the orphaned child trope is definitely a 90s mm-hmm. thing, because I saw it so many times, yeah. to the point where it's even in Problem Child, which is a goofy... Terrible film, but I watched it the other week because it's on Prime and uh, I had fun with it, even though it's rubbish. But the <laughs> o- the idea that you just leave a baby in a basket, like the Moses basket, to the nuns. Yeah, seen yeah. that a hundred times in the 90s. So when they do that, I'm like, yeah, but what, what has this got to do with Super Mario Brothers? And then when it's an egg, you're like, what is this? What is going on? <laughs> See, I, I was, uh, again, kind of okay with it, even though it is a massive trope, because um, it was quick. And and that's really what you need to do here. You need to you need to to set these things up. And you need to intrigue people somewhat. So it's like, oh, there's a baby in an egg. That's pretty weird. Yeah, I mean, it, I think I think from that point of view, I think it definitely works when this you know baby hatches from an egg. I would argue though that the nuns don't seem to be bothered. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, the nuns true. see this like metal object in a basket outside well she to be fair she spends five minutes looking um and then she sees it and then she brings it in and then it hatches and there doesn't seem to be any concern for her faith or for science or anything like that it's just oh, it's a baby oh, you know you, you um, don't question you don't question the lord um, never <laughs> the lord works in mysterious ways <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely, and um, and, and I'll I'll give you this, Devlin. I will give you this. It is quick, and I guess the only thing that isn't yeah. is the first twenty minutes because we spend twenty minutes in Brooklyn. Um, yeah. Meet, you know, we're introduced to the characters, and again, the setup between the two of them is beyond simplistic. I mean, I wouldn't even call it characterization. We have the pragmatist in Mario, Bob Hoskins, as like the older brother. And then we have Luigi, who I mentioned before about the Rain Man writer, uh, you know, penning a script where Luigi's a simpleton. Well, he virtually is doing that, isn't he? He's like a kid. You know, he's just like, hey, yeah. and don't get me wrong, John, John Leguizamo, he sells it as just like wide-eyed simpleton. But mm-hmm. the one scene that really did kind of ding was when they meet Daisy, meet her, and then they're doing their little, um, I would like to ask you out for a date. It was playground stuff. It was like, do you like to eat food? I was like, what? What is this dialogue? What is going on? These are supposed to be two plumbers that actually get trade? Like, what is going on? Bob Hoskins is over his shoulder like, yeah, ask her, ask her. This is mental. Well, thank you for the ride. It's a pleasure to meet me. I mean, it's a pleasure to meet you. Do you eat? Yeah. Dinner? Sure. 
John Leguizamo looking because let's be honest, right? I was I was a kid when I watched this, but I had the biggest crush on John Leguizamo, and I still think he's just so incredibly good looking um, that that was probably one of the reasons why I had such a fondness for this movie was not just for what Bob you Hoskins, didn't like Bob Hoskins, Sam. What's wrong with I you? Mean, <laughs> as a wonderful as an actor Bob Hoskins is, he's not really my type, but John Leguizamo is my type. Um, so because he's hot and attractive um but you know it's like what if i met someone who spoke to me like that as an adult woman who wanted to ask me out and who was asking if i like food i'd be like i'd be like are you taking the piss mate (laughs) (laughs) mario is supposed to be the the main character but he's in the background of most of the action and and most of the kind of "Quote unquote important plot beats." Um, he's 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 there. He's always asked for assistance, but he's like the sidekick in his own film, and it's really strange because, again, like it should it should he's he's obviously the nurturing older brother. There's an orphanage connection, which again, there's a line that just goes, and if you catch it, great, and if you don't, you just wonder how are they brothers whatever but it's fine i get it it's in the script but i suppose i'm going to defend the writer slightly because if they're brought in to just be like hey can you change this scene to make it uh tonally more in line with what we're trying to go for but we're we've already shot half of a film that's dark dystopian sci-fi cyberpunk i mean i was getting lawnmower man to beyond cyberspace flashbacks throughout the whole film but like it was it it must have been difficult and it must have been difficult for the actors as well because you've got really no consistency of character other than mario pragmatist who doesn't like to pay for water versus luigi believer who reads newspaper and believes everything he reads that's it that's all we've really got to latch on to i think the like you're saying with the the constant rewrites and the constant having to jiggle around with the scripts and the the inconsistency of tone i think that probably kind of plays a a big part in just how unfunny the funny dialogue is Mm. you really need this film to be funny like if if you want to pull off, you can pull off weird. If you want to pull off weird, the nineties had plenty of uh, kind of family films and kids films that were you know strange in in one way or another. Like the Adams Family, I was a huge fan of the Adams Love Family. It. Love it. Um, but it has consistency of tone. It's kind of macabre and it's cheeky and it has enough. It's it's got a kind of glint, like a gleam in its eye and it knows what it's doing. And there's there's uh uh if you if you're gonna pull something like this off it's or uh, as you mentioned the the flintstones i don't remember the flintstones movie very well but i did watch it a lot when i was a kid and i'm sure the the plot is about something kind of weird isn't it about like a corporate embezzlement yeah it is yeah it is which which i i actually rewatched it recently because it was uh it was on tv and and to be fair, I didn't pick up on the corporate embezzlement when I was a kid because it was just the Flintstones. Mm. Um, and arguably, I mean, that movie 
also struggles a little bit because it is taking on a very adult theme and it's putting it in a kids movie but essentially what the Flintstones does is it it kind of it focuses on the relationship between uh Fred and Barney um as part of this kind of embezzlement that, that Fred's involved in so it it is about this you know embezzlement but as a kid you don't really get involved in that uh, because it's yeah. all about oh well you know Fred's being mean to Barney and Barney's um left the company and Barney's working as a waiter and and it's all it kind of focuses more on their relationship which is what it should be doing because it's a movie for primarily for children and for families about characters that we know and love and grew up with and mm-hmm. with Super Mario Brothers I feel like if they'd only focused more on the relationship between Mario and Luigi rather than Luigi and Daisy um I just feel like it probably would have it wouldn't it still wouldn't be a particularly cohesive movie regardless of how much I do love it because genuinely I feel like I'm really hating on it but I genuinely do adore (laughs) this movie um Mm. but it it fails at the first hurdle just for the fact that a it's got two actors who I mean, I've, I've read stories about their time on set that they, you know, would drink whiskey together. And, and by all accounts, they seem to have really got on, you know, as two actors, um, Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo seem to really get on. John Leguizamo was obviously, you know, an up and coming actor at the time. And Bob Hoskins was, you know, one of the greats, essentially. Um, but it kind of when you do have these two characters and Bob Hoskins was 22 years, John Leguizamo senior. So you kind of like, well, okay, the movie says they're brothers. The movie says that Mario raised Luigi. So he's obviously a father figure to him. Um, but the movie tells us it and it goes, right, okay, well, Mario raised him, he's a father figure. But it doesn't actually really show any of that. It just kind of shows Mario you know, berating Luigi for reading newspapers and playing video games, but it doesn't actually go into their relationship in any real detail to kind of enamour us. It's a really good point, Em, and you've actually hit on something that the whole film is lacking, which is conflict. And it would have been so good to have just something that would split their relationship apart that then means that they will come together at the end. And you're right, you know, it's not about patronising kids that you can't have drama. But the film doesn't actually have any drama. Like one of the things that that really bothered me about uh, watching it this time was it was so easy for my eye to just drift because there was nothing outside of like some production design which was just questionable for for what it's aiming for. There is no conflict. I was just like, well, I get the stakes because they keep telling me about the worlds merging, but we don't really see how that might have a detrimental effect on either side. And and the and the other one as well is that the, the Cooper world, you know, we, we have one character that embodies um the discontent, the 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 rebellious side, which is Toad. And and he is our only character that gives us a sense that, that people are actually, you know, don't enjoy living in Cooper's world. Apart from that, everyone seems kind of all right with it it's like yeah there's, yeah, there's a bar yeah. everyone's dancing you know no one seems that particularly <laughs> bothered is walking the dinosaur <laughs> everybody is walking the dinosaur but god that song <laughs> jesus but i mean it, it just you're, you're absolutely right em they should have just concentrated on the 
that central relationship. And then I think we would have had something to grapple onto. And again, I feel like I'm hating on the film. I will give you some positives. I've, I've, I've actually ring fenced a positive note in my, in my, in my notes. But one of the things that really irritated me, and I, I wonder what you thought, Em and Devlin, the score music I found to be <laughs> deeply irritable. Uh, I, I love me some Alan Silvestri, and you can actually hear some predator uh, stings in this. But the bum 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 bum, the 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 music trying to convince me that this is a fun romp with yeah. doing yeah. my head in. I wanted to put my jump boots on and and get out the window. I was honestly, it was doing my head in. <laughs> and you could tell as well that they just kept looping it every two minutes to be like, oh, yeah. hey, this is super fun, right? This is we're having a great time. Yeah. <laughs> Did they steal that? That kind of I, I assume that's a clarinet. It sounds like. Did they steal that line, like that that musical line, for some other score? Because I it sure feels I like it, it, doesn't it? Yeah, it feels like it. And it's not like I don't like a good family fun score. I mean, I adore the music in Beethoven, the dog film. So it's not like I can't do a family score. But this, oh, it was it was crawling into my brain, and I it was it was like um, you know it was like shockers. I was just like I'm gonna blow up in a minute. Oh, I hated it. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have that kind of visceral reaction. It, it's it's a score that has stayed with me because as soon as I hear it, I know that it's Super Mario Brothers. So it's clearly you know etched in my memory now because it's. I mean, to be fair, like you say, they play it on loop. So literally every scene, it's like they're in the nightclub. They're in the tunnels. <laughs> Uh, you know they're um, they're fixing pipes. <laughs> so it's like okay. Gore. I'm surprised that they didn't use any of the most recognized one of the most recognizable pieces of music in the world at yeah. that time. That is a really excellent point, actually. I didn't actually think of that, but yeah, why why didn't they use any Mario music? Because that is just seems obvious, really. Yeah. Well, it's indicative um, of the whole film, though, Emma, right? I mean, like... how, how, how much of the Mario no, game do they the use, right? I mean, well, let's, let's talk about this future. This well, is, is it, is it the future? I keep saying future. It's not the future. It's just parallel. But what do we think of the, the, yes. the Dino yeah. Hatton dreadful name? What do we think of this dimension that they've created? Because again, I understand that Joffrey wanted a Batman aesthetic, but Batman was more fun. I, I, Batman wasn't, and everyone who's, re, you know, reappraised the Tim Burton Batmans that have said, you know, it actually wasn't that dark and gritty. No, it never was. Like Joker pulls a gun from his trousers. I've mentioned it many, many times. It was goofy. <laughs> it had a few more adult scenes. Don't get me wrong, but the aesthetic was not kidif- kidified, but it was, it was stylized, right? This feels like a junkyard. Yeah. I, I, I hated it. Hated it. They wanted to ground Super Mario Brothers in some sort of realism, which is fine because it's a it's a video game where he jumps on platforms and, you know, eats toadstools. So you've kind of got to think, well, how can we make this real? Uh, you know, as, as real as, as you could possibly make it uh, if Mario was living in the world today or, you know, 1993. So I kind of understand that. That, you know, they're just a couple of average plumbers. Okay. Um, and then they want, they want to, they're looking at it as if it was computer game levels in a way. So, you know, like when Mario goes down a, uh, a green, uh, pipe in, in the game and he ends up in a completely different place and the music changes and it's like, 
you know, a bit more sinister. Um, I kind of feel like they, they've kind of, they wanted the real world to be, you know, a normal, happy Mario level. Then he goes down a green pipe and it's like the, the really kind of spooky, sinister, darker kind of world that, you know, he then needs to navigate through. They've kind of taken it a bit too far. Um, because everything in, in Dino Hatton is so much more aggressive and so much more violent and so much more sexual. Um, and I can see maybe in a way why they did that to, to, to make it clear that this is a completely different place. Just in case any kids were wondering, Oh, you know, is this Dino Hatton really Manhattan? Well, actually, no, because, you know, this is a world where dinosaurs get stabbed in the neck and yeah and, and everyone crashes can... their cars into everyone else repeatedly <laughs> the one bit of like world building that i really thought was really fun the the idea that all the cars run off a power grid like a like bumper yes cars. yeah that is really... cool. well it makes sense right because they're dinosaurs so um i guess it's like a lack of oil so they created a different power source i.e electricity i mean that's how i that's <gasps> how i took it wait because what the dinosaurs turned into oil yeah that's what, that's how I took wow. it. Wow. That's some inception shit. <laughs> but, but it also doesn't make sense because, because if, if they are all essentially evolved from lizards, and this is the point that, okay, so the, the dinosaurs are, uh, the evolution of dinosaurs in Dino Hatton and we're the evolution of mammals in, in our world. Well, that's fine. So why do the women have breasts? I suppose, Em, um, as a concept for like, what this film ends up being, which is a blurring of a Saturday cartoon versus this dystopian neo-noir aesthetic that they were going for. And I got the sense, Devlin, that you probably it liked the production design. It was from the same... He was the art director of Blade Runner, so you can definitely see it. I got a lot of Total Recall and the Mars um, prostitute area, which, oh, yeah. again, I don't think I should be getting for yeah. my for my kids' Mario film. I didn't have a problem with it. I... I... I, I didn't particularly find it very um, visually appealing, which is a which is a shame for a for a family type film, you know, to entertain an under ten. It's it's very it's a bit grey. Yeah, it is. It is very dark, and you like I say, you can kind of think, well, okay, they were doing that on purpose, but you need to make it visually pleasing in some way, and not just a dark, grimy. Because everything is kind of filmed on the same, pretty much the same street. Oh, so yeah. it's like they've got one set where the street is, and then they've got another set for the club, which, I mean, the club scene is is weird in itself with, uh, you know, because Big Bertha's supposed to be the bouncer, but she just ends up dancing on the dance floor. So she's clearly not doing a very good job of uh, being the bouncer. Um, <laughs> but Big Bertha... Well, I mean, big, when she sees his... Uh, what does she call his buns? <laughs> She has a she has a phrase for his buns. Oh, I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head. But you see, Big Bertha. I think Big Bertha's an interesting character because essentially in the game she's just a fish. So <laughs> she's just a big red <laughs> fish. So they've obviously put this this woman in like this red PVC again, very adult looking outfit with like a red low cut PVC dress. Um, and then and then we get scenes of Mario trying to. Uh, steal back the necklace that she stole from him scenes where like he's like you know mouthing at her chest 
<laughs> Did yeah. I get it? He uh, almost motorboats those boobies, which is, <laughs> yes! again, incredible. He does. He does. But yeah. uh, the other and... thing as well is their outfits, right? I mean, they're dressed like what looked like 70s pimps. I, honestly, it yeah. was all a bit bad. Very little explanation, either in universe or. For I think the don't don't um, don't um, the the comedy duo, Iggy yeah, and, Iggy and, and Spike, Spike, just yeah. say, "Oh, it's my my girlfriend's clothes," which was again my my ex wife's. Uh, yeah, like what again? That's such a weird line to just throw in and then keep because fine if you're just going to do zany, but when everything's zany. I get really upset, and there was there was, there was, there was loads of that kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff. I mean, the club scene in particular just felt really misjudged, but again, felt like a rewrite. Like, okay, we need to inject some fun into this pretty, in my opinion, kind of loathsome existence of a film, especially when they're in this um, this new dimension. Because I mentioned it before about the Wizard of Oz, and if you flipped it, so the film cost what like. 50 million? I don't know where they spent 50 million. Genuinely, I can't understand. Unless it's all about rewrites and all about shifting, basically just reshooting entire sequences. It must have been where their, where their money must have gone. Yeah. The one thing about that production design, the, the primary set, which is to say the set, the, the street of, uh, of Dino Hatton is very stage bound. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you, and, and and it doesn't and it doesn't have any illusions of not being on a on a stage. Like no. they don't even use like yeah. a couple of map paintings or even just to try and. There is there is one kind of CGA CGI composite at the start where you can see the tower blocks in the background, but of course uh, it just it it clearly doesn't match. They've not done, you know, they, they've not done a particularly great job in making that set. Yeah, they haven't made that set feel like it expands anywhere beyond the limits of that of that end point of yeah. that street. Yeah, and I I I think you're absolutely right on that. They don't have yeah. a connecting scene either. So when, for example, t- for me to give a positive is I quite like, because there's a little bit of physical humor and Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo are doing some good stuff. Plus the cop from T2 just turns up, which is always, always a joy. Um, when they're, when they go to the police station and they're kind of being, uh, going through sort of like decontamination and getting blue water spilt on them and they're taking the photos. I found that all to be quite fun and breezy. And I thought, okay, they're striking roughly the right balance here for what they've got going on in the background. But there's never a connecting scene between the weather driving, the tower. Like there should be a shot that says, this is where the tower is located in and amongst the world. And it oversees everything. You're right. You get the composite shot of Daisy in the tower but it has no, there's no connection. And it's the same with when they're stuck in the desert walking. Why would they walk in the wrong direction from the thing that is the only thing that exists in the world? So <laughs> it's a good point. They have emerged into the desert. And walk the and wrong then, way. Like, no, they, yeah. they know where they've just come out of. It's the only thing that exists. It's one, it's one of those like second act, let's just shunt people from here to there and then back again. But Devlin, wouldn't it have made more sense if their whole journey was to get to the city as opposed to just going to the city like they do and then getting kicked Mm -hmm. out to then come back in again i hate to repeat myself but wizard of oz like it's just it's no it's a no-brainer like just just have them make the journey and meet all the characters along the way and just have something a little bit more interesting than we have a desert i mean we've watched many films on our discords where it is a known trope for a film with no money to put themselves in the middle of nowhere. 
And also post-industrial landscapes, because you can always find yourself an abandoned factory. Can't you just? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, cyborg, anyway. I got major Helgums, uh, Helgums to Frogtown vibes from this one. I, I feel like I have been very critical of a movie that I, I, I claim to love. It, it is very difficult, because the more you go into this movie, the more you realise that it, it has a lot of problems. Um, but, you know, it's like Fiona Shaw... They dress her in some absolutely beautiful dresses. I think she looks gorgeous in this movie, like genuinely she's, beautiful. She's generally great. I think she's one of the best things about the film. Obviously, um, it, it is a very overtly sexualized movie, and especially with the female characters. You know, uh, we've mentioned Big Bertha and the fact that she is essentially fondled um, by Mario, and he kind of excuses it as, uh, oh, you know, the women can't resist um, the plumber or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. They can't resist <laughs> Mario. <And I'm> like, <laughs> it's me, Mario. Um, <laughs> where Daisy is concerned, because obviously when they cast Daisy, they wanted to cast someone incredibly beautiful. And Samantha Mathis is incredibly beautiful. Um I remember watching, oh, I think you mentioned earlier Broken Arrow. Um, she was also in, um, was it Pump Up the Volume with Christian Slater? Oh, she was, I think yes. She was in that as well. She was. Um, and, and, and she's gorgeous. She's, and I feel like with her, they start her in the movie and at least she's wearing practical clothing for, um, you know, that cause they're excavating dinosaur bones. She's, you know, at least wearing something practical. But throughout the movie, at some point, they take her clothes off her and put her in this very pretty dress, which is lovely. Um, and then Cooper is, he seems like completely obsessed with her, um, to the point where he, he obviously wants what she has in a sense that she, he wants the meteorite fragment. But he also kind of is lusting after her as well. You are so fresh and so clean. <laughs> Don't fight it. You know you've always been uncomfortable in the human world. And you've at least suspected that you were... different. I suspected a lot of things, but not that I... That you... Descended from the dinosaurs. And you know what they say about little girls, don't you? Hmm? They say they never forget the first time they kissed by a lizard. It's just, it's the grossest thing that I think I've ever seen in a movie that's aimed at kids. The directors who don't really have a handle on the the material or their vision is being compromised, and it's one of the things that I didn't mention before with them. But you know, we've we've discussed films offline before. I'm thinking about the Fan Four Stick devs when you know Josh Trank, who I think is not a particularly nice individual, but let's talk about him as a filmmaker. His his vision gets compromised for that. The studio step in. You would argue that there's something similar happens here, but actually I think the directors are culpable for most of this because if your vision is being compromised to the point where it's not 
what you wanted. You walk. You don't just make it and it's become yeah. utter, utter crap. Like, why would you do that scene unless you were just like, well, we've got Dennis Hopper. He was in Blue Velvet. He was weirdo Frank Booth in that. Can we give him a Frank Booth scene? It's like, it's not, it is not, it is not appropriate for the material that you're doing. So don't, no. don't, yeah. don't it use that actor in a way. It, and it adds, you're right. It yeah. adds absolutely nothing. The only thing that it does, and again, it's all this reductive tropey stuff, which I felt was, was the one thing they could have done, which they didn't. I was deprived of a female on female fight between Lena and Daisy. Instead, we have the, the old women don't like other women jealous thing which is going on between lena the villainess and daisy which again goes nowhere other than she decides to turn on cooper because what he doesn't like her after 30 odd years together or however long they've been together just ah yeah i assume that she was uh she was angling to be there by his side she was the kind of i don't know lady macbeth if you want to get massive archetypes and uh and then you know she realizes that she has been cast aside it's it's another case where there's theoretically uh a character reason behind it it's just that it doesn't quite make it into the execution yeah, yeah it, it 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 genuinely doesn't make sense to me i think it would make more sense for lena to actually help daisy and to actually realize what cooper is trying to do um and to actually, you know, be the help. Um, maybe even, because there's this ridiculous notion with Iggy and Spike. Um, I mean, Iggy and Spike, they are literally the most incompetent sidekicks. <laughs> you know, they're kidnapping all these girls from Brooklyn in to a kid's try film. and find this princess. And in a kid's film, <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, they keep bringing back all these random women. So there are like five, I think, women that are captured, uh, or four or five. Uh, and, and Cooper is just like, yeah, yeah, go out and find the princess and do it again, do it again. And then he decides to evolve them into smart. And I use that term in inverted commas. Um, which by the way, they're not because, um, I can't remember whether it's Iggy or Spike says that the square root of um, 26,481 is 191. It's not. It's 162.7298374604. So they are not, they are not smart individuals. Um, but anyway, that's kind of by the by. It, it makes me question, well, if they're so inept, why didn't Cooper evolve them sooner? Why didn't he get rid of them? And then why are they all of a sudden supporters of the king who's now fungus that's yeah that's a good point were they it seems like they were there's a drop line about them saying we were we were double agents the whole time you're like where's that come from like i would i would accept (laughs) because you see them you see them alone talking in the car when you're introduced to them so i mean if if they had you know if if they were uh kidnapping these women under duress and were secretly trying to undermine the mission then if they're, yeah. the two characters are seen alone at first with no one spying on them, why would they not just, you know? Not. Yeah, or, yeah. it yeah. makes no sense. It would, it would have made more sense for the movie for Lena to actually be the supporter the... of the king for me. I, I actually really like Samantha Mathis. I think that she delivers quite a lot of lines as if she's kind of reading them off cue cards, but... I think that's probably just the fact that the script was in such a state that she probably didn't know what her lines actually were. Mm. Um, but I really like her and I like, she brings 
a very kind of a really nice kind of sweet energy um to daisy um and i as much as i kind of feel like we should have invested in the relationship between luigi and mario i can i kind of find the relationship between her and luigi kind of a little bit sweet and awkward um but then maybe that's just because i like john leguizamo i don't know um but i find the scene that really gets me with daisy is, and, the, and I think it kind of sums up the fact that she's not really given any real characterization apart from she's obviously an archaeologist, um, etc. Is when she meets her father, who's the fungus. And obviously the whole thing with the movie is trust the fungus. Um, <laughs> so you, so she's introduced to a blob of fungus that hangs from the ceiling in the throne room. And she's basically told, oh, by the way, this is your father. (laughs) She doesn't really question it. But no, she's like, guys, this is my dad. (laughs) You tell her. No, I think you should tell her. All right, we'll both tell her. Daisy, I think this may come as something of a shock. Daisy, may I present to you your father. The fungus. Cooper's first victim of de-evolution. This is my father? Yes. Perhaps at this moment of delicacy... A delicate moment? A retreat is in order. An ordered retreat. Um, you're doing, Samantha Mathis, a big disservice, because actually, if no one has seen the film who's listening, it's, it's like a slimy old testicle that kind of drops down so she's doing even <laughs> stronger work than what you're suggesting i think we've uh i think we've may have may have touched on all things super mario brothers sorry iggy sorry spike um yeah yeah we'll we just... did talk about them a little well i i definitely talked about them a little bit yeah but not in a favorable way yeah. <laughs> and, and certainly not the way that um that Fisher Stevens would have wanted, which is that we talked about them exclusively. Um, uh, by the way, before we get into actually our final thoughts, you know, um, you said before about them them sort of uh, hedging their bets or, or thinking that they had a hit on their hands. Did you see the end of credit stinger with Iggy and Spike? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's it's qu- it's quite funny actually because it's set up in such a way that you, the audience thinks that they're talking to Mario and Luigi and. Mm. Obviously, yeah. you have these two Japanese guys, and they're like, "Oh, we want to make a video game." And yeah, turns out to be Iggy and Spike. Yeah, the old who... Super Cooper I cousins. I don't think I've ever been in any of the games. No. Oh, Super Cooper cousins, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I thought it was quite nice as well. Um, and again, I think you said before about them. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe the MCU took everything from Super. <laughs> 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 Shall we do it then? Shall we, we'll go round the, the table. Um, so I'll ask the questions that I normally do ask, Em, uh, of, uh, of, of those that are uh, involved in the discussion. So I'll start with you, Devlin. I have a feeling I know what you're going to say. Um, but final thoughts on Super Mario Brothers. And would you recommend it to any of our listeners that have either not seen it for donks or have never seen it? <laughs> it's a tough one because I don't like being a big downer. <laughs> you've not been downer at all this whole episode though you've actually been quite positive I, okay um well up front positives it was a very bold choice 
to run with the concept of the film that they did run with. It's, it's, uh, it, despite the kind of nakedly mercenary beginnings of the project to kind of come up with this, this very, very, very strange vision for the film is at least unexpected. So, so that's good. But, um, I do find it a bit strange that they, that they spoke so openly about wanting to elevate the material or to, or to turn the material into something that's like, is not just for kids. But, um, which seems like a strange thing to, to do. It almost sounds like kind of, uh, looking down upon your source material or upon your, your, your product that you're, that you're going to adapt. Um, and, and it didn't seem like many people involved in the project knew how to adapt it, like, in a, in a, in a more linear fashion and then just, you know, they always say about like, uh, you gotta learn the rules to break the rules, I guess. So, I mean, maybe it would have been a good idea to start off with a concept that was a more straight adaptation and then subvert it. But instead they went for a, they, they did a huge sidestep into this kind of very strange kind of cyber trash, dark and gritty adaptation, which was then, of course, um, just thrown out the window before and during production. So you end up with a, a fascinating clash of tones where, the the problem you have there is that nobody can really go full tilt into one thing or another because what you've got is just so many cross purposes and and um it, you end up with a, a a a bit of a kind of primordial soup like mm. it's sort of um it's it's de-evolved but um <laughs> it's has de-evolved <laughs> but it's 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 strange because um it's it's they've elevated it but it's just kind of to the point of sort of incoherence um which uh could be fascinating but i guess it just makes it quite difficult to sort of keep track of because of course the plot isn't really about much as well it's just supposed to be a kind of you know a or should be a kind of frothy entertainment but um because you're kind of squinting at it quite hard trying to work out what everyone's up to it's a it's a really interesting one to 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 go back and and rewatch. I find it very interesting to go back and rewatch. Um, mm. I don't know whether I would have done so for fun, but mm. luckily I didn't have to make that choice. So I, I had an interesting time with it. I had a much more interesting time chatting about it. Maybe that's as with a lot of these films, the key to this, maybe try yeah. watching it with someone else, especially someone else who sort of vaguely remembers it and then see what he has come up with. <laughs> But um, yeah, it's a. Uh, I'm not sure if if we were to kind of rank it. I'm not sure I would rank it as like a, a for me a, a, like a, a secret success that's waiting to be kind of unearthed. Um, uh, it it's a it's a a fascinating miss, but certainly the emphasis on fascinating, especially the very 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 intricate and complex backstories as to how it was made there's a reason why there are so many very good um like oral histories of a film like this which is that yeah. the, the backstage machinations are very fascinating i'm not sure i'd recommend it as like a a, a rewatch if it was me but if you haven't seen it in a while i don't know yeah give it a shot why not but don't yell at me when it's not good <laughs> uh yeah how about you gals uh well I'm going to I'm going to steal someone else's uh summary. Uh lo and behold I do have some independent thought, but I think Time Out magazine nailed it. It will baffle kids, bore adolescents and depress adults. 
Um, I don't <laughs> think I could surmise it any anymore. Certainly the way I felt. I, I've got to say, there's a danger, isn't there, with what we do? And every now and again, we get a Super Mario Brothers because in my mind, I enjoyed this film far more as a child. I haven't seen it since. And I had with no real intention of ever going back because it was just sat there as like, oh, Super Mario Brothers, people give it a lot of stick. I don't remember it being that bad. And I kind of wish it stayed there. Unfortunately, <laughs> watching it again... Um, yeah, sorry about that. No, no, M, 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 please, please. I feel um, like the responsibility is on my shoulders. No, no, only harbour the responsibility, but don't take it personally. You definitely <laughs> didn't make the film. But no, I'm only, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. No, I think, um, I think you know, there is a danger with what we do, and uh, and every now and again we get these films and we reevaluate them because we've got fresh perspective. Of course, we're older, and it was. This is the strange dichotomy between it. Clearly made as a kids' film but totally not aimed at kids. So I really struggled with it. And I was hoping that uh, I would kind of like laugh along with it. Like I do with the street fighter movie um, where you have, you know, I can be entertained by the bizarre choices and the kind of earnestness of some of the performances in, in say the street fighter film. Whereas in this, I, I get the sense that the entire production was a complete basket case. You know, no one really seems like they're having a particularly good time. And then when you read about the filmmakers, well, there's a reason why they never made another film again. You know, the word was out on these two. Um, There were clearly exceptionally talented people who worked on this film. And you can see it. There's elements that you can, you can kind of spot and go, yeah, I can, there's talent behind that. But unfortunately, when the central driving force on set is self-destructing before your eyes. I think most people on set, and we've had this before, Devlin, when we've worked on short films, um, you go into self-preservation mode where you're like, you know what, I'll just do what I can to get out of this one without, you know, being stained. And I think uh, I think that's what Super Mario Brothers is for me now. And you know what, we said I've said this before about films that uh, that I don't think worked. Go make Super Mario Brothers again. You know, Sonic came out last year. Everyone was everyone's throwing loads of shade on it, and then it came out, did really well. And for, for the, I've not seen it, but I know uh, a younger cousin of mine seen it, loves it. Make Super Mario Mother, Brothers again and make it properly. And I think you've, um, you know, it's an it's a surefire hit. Just oh uh, god, are they? Ah, oh, oh Gally, that yeah. means you get oh, an associate yeah. producer credit because you said it. Yay! <laughs> uh, you know what they should do? I Dark and gritty. It's uh, Illumination Studios. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So, you know, the studios that made like Despicable Me and everything like that. I think they're doing it. Okay. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm all, I'm all for checking that out then. Uh, I think as recommendations go, there's, you know, there is something for everybody. And I know that there is a, a bit of a cult out there that support this film. And I, or, more power to you. Um, that's what I say. But M, please, you know, accept my apologies. Um, you know, just, just, yeah, just didn't, unfortunately, didn't, uh, didn't jive with it. 30 years later who would have known um anyway yeah what what do you think em if you final thoughts on on super mario brothers yeah i mean to be honest i think that you guys have summarized it all pretty perfectly um i think it, this was always going to be doomed to failure uh which is unfortunate um i kind of feel like it's very difficult to adapt a video game anyway um even when you know in the likes you know detective pikachu for example even when it works um, it's still incredibly difficult to please the whole fan base. And when you have a character like Mario, who is literally the most famous video game character in the world, 
Um, it's very, very difficult to translate what you see on screen, you know, because Mario's obviously been going for, I'm going to say, the best part of almost 40 years, um, give or take, maybe, because he's obviously started off in Donkey Kong, um, which I think was maybe 81, 82. I'm not entirely sure. But um, so, yeah, the, the character is is so ingrained in video game culture. It's not like these are games like Grand Theft Auto or Uncharted or anything like that that could have some sort of semblance of a structure to make a film, you know, a cohesive film. Um, and, you know, like we've said as well, the, the, the choice to make it a bit more grown up kind of backfired on it a little bit. But I will say that the, um, the ambition is very, very clear. They clearly had a lot of ambition. They clearly really wanted to make something that would make the character of Mario proud. Um, and, you know, the way I look at it is it doesn't matter what film you watch, um, whether it's whatever it is, there's always going to be at least one person in the world where that's their favourite movie of all time. And we know that Super Mario Brothers does have uh, an incredibly passionate fan base. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a really nice take on it. I you know it's, it's a, a lot more. I guess it's 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 a more generous version of what I was kind of going for, but I think I layered <laughs> on some a little bit too much cynicism. But it's 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 a good point that they yeah they did they shot for the moon, and maybe they shouldn't have. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, maybe they've, they've, you know, clearly video game adaptations, um, they've, they've never actually, you know, historically been the greatest. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at least, it's same with Street Fighter. Yeah, it wasn't the greatest movie ever made, but God darn it, they tried and they really did. And, and yes, Street Fighter is overall a bit better, I think, than this. Maybe we should have done Street Fighter. <laughs> well, there's always next um, time. There's always next time. <laughs> oh, you mean I'm allowed back on? Jesus. I yeah, mean, yeah. I was I was hoping by choosing Super Mario Brothers that you might ban me for life. <laughs> no, no, um, no, no. If we're doing Street um... Fighter, round two. <laughs> so for listeners that are looking for uh, some Super Mario Brothers fix, um, it's currently not uh, available in the UK, certainly, on any uh, streaming sites uh, for subscription only. But uh, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, I think it's about three ninety nine to buy and pay, £2.50. Yeah, I'd pay 2 yeah, for rental. Yeah, so. for the rental. Uh, you can get it on Google Play and also on YouTube as well for rental. Um, you can do what M did. I know that M, you, you sort out the... Did you get the Blu-ray in the end, or was it just the, the DVD, the old print? No, I, I just got the DVD, but it was only three quid, nice. brand new. So... <laughs> I was just like, okay, uh, yeah, so I got that. Yes, that's where you can find uh, Super Mario Brothers. And we will uh, we'll say our goodbyes, but before we do, M, would you like to tell uh, tell our listeners one more time where they can find where they can find your show? Yes, I would. Um, if listeners are interested in uh, me, uh, especially after I chose Super Mario Brothers, if you are, then all power to you. Um, you can find me. Uh, my podcast is Verbal Diorama. Um, you can download my episodes um, from well, any podcast app of choice. So, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. All the, all the apps, basically. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I haven't covered Super Mario Brothers on my own podcast. To be honest, after this experience, I can't say that I actually will. But um, I I do cover uh, other things. So I like to look at the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. So hopefully there's something in my episode list that you've seen and that you love. Um, And if there is, then come and listen to an episode of mine and you might find out some stuff that you didn't know uh, about the movie. And if you want to follow me on social media, I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. So you can find me and you can follow me and you can talk to me. Talk to me about Super Mario Brothers if you want. I'm more than happy. Uh, genuinely people want to talk to me about super mario brothers um but yeah uh and um yeah it's been a genuine delight to uh be on with you guys genuinely um and i've i've had the best time talking about super mario brothers with you no oh, well listen we uh well we will uh reciprocate it's been awesome and uh, well I, I for one am still blown away by the plot summary i don't know how we're gonna top that devs i mean get patrick maybe to try and make make a song <laughs> next song. i don't know how we're gonna do it I mean, I just... patrick can do like a video summary yeah. that's true i don't yeah. know yeah none of us can hold a note that's the problem so but no we we'll, have to uh... do everything it's in the style of like uh like like bad 90s white guy rap from sitcoms oh we <laughs> can do that well my yeah, name is Devon, and i'm here to see everything starts with that sentence but no i genuinely certainly from uh some from myself i had a really good time um uh, probably a better time like Devon said talking about super mario brothers than actually uh watching it um but you know that that just uh that just means that you were a you were awesome to have, and we, you know, we definitely would have you back on um, if you would have us. So, um, yeah, we'll uh, tell our listeners to keep keep an ear out for when uh, when you're back on the show, uh, whether it be Street Fighter or something not video game related. We're we're easy, aren't we, Deb? But uh, but no, I'd I'd be absolutely delighted to to come back on. Genuinely, um, you guys are the best. I, I think you're wicked. <laughs> oh, that's very kind of. Well, thank you very much, Em. That's uh, that's really sweet of you. I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. That's for sure. All the details for for verbal diorama will be in the show notes uh, and links to Em's Twitter and also uh, links to the show. So yeah, thank you very much. It'll be our time to say our goodbyes. So um, it's Galley in Glasgow signing out. All I'll say is, plumbers. <laughs> I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you next time. You guys take care. <laughs> and uh, this is one mean. Egg-sucking son of a bitch, signing out. This is Devlin in London. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And once again, especially, thank you very much for M for joining us. And uh, and this is M from Warwickshire, uh, signing out also. And all I have to say is, see you later, alligator. Nice, nice. Because well, it listens. <laughs> it, it, was, it was part of the film. Uh, right, cool. Uh, oh, thank you very much, guys. And we'll see you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. Bells will ring, tingle-ling-a-ling, tingle-ling-a-ling, and you'll sing Vita Bella. Hearts will play tippy-tippy-tay, tippy-tippy-tay, like a guitar and When the stars make you drool, just like a pastefazool, that's some more rain.
When you dance down the street with a cloud at your feet, you're in love. When you walk in a dream, but you know you're not dreaming, Signore. Excuse me, but you see, back in old Napoli, that's amore. Amore. 